listeners, and welcome to another episode of Compare and Campaign. I am your host, as always, Tom Lando, and with me, as always, is my co-host and co-GM. McGill. It's McGill. What, what's with your voice there, McGill? What's going on? Well, Tom, this is uh, the first uh, episode of the month, right? We're recording in October now. And uh, my, my voice is already shaky at the prospect of recounting my September. Man, yeah, you were just in a Dengus uh, hurricane. Uh, because... <laughs> yeah, just one of many things that happened to me last month. Yeah, because uh, that was um, the reason we didn't do an episode. We it's it's crazy. We're talking about this. Is, normally, we have like a three episode buffer uh, when we do an episode. This is the first time it's gonna be like this episode we record. We're probably gonna go up the week after we record it. By the way, this is episode. Uh, my God, what is it? One twenty four. One twenty four. Recorded on the fourth of October uh 2022 um yeah i mean yeah you you've had some crazy stuff going on uh i don't know if i have that much to say honestly i was going to mention the fact that uh i oh, oh or i was going to mention that the new adventure zone season has started where they are playing uh, Blades in the Dark, which I had mentioned on the podcast before, but it's it's started now, and that's uh, pretty exciting to be listening to. And I feel uh, like now that the Adventure Zone is doing it, we are just like we're we are in whether or not we know it, we are in a slow circle towards playing Blades in the Dark. Yeah, I mean for sure. Uh, I I I definitely felt that pull. Like like before, I'd mentioned it on the podcast. I had had this awareness that it was like the new big thing. It's almost like yeah. you know when I think about games that make this level of a splash. You know, uh, the shift to fifth edition was obviously a pretty huge one, um, but Fiasco was such a standout indie hit for such a long time. Um, like I remember the year that it came out it was like top seller just like month after month it was it was so huge um everybody was just crazy about it and for good reason and i very much get that same vibe with blades in the dark basically where it's like okay this is you know there there's the standard track of things like dungeons and dragons and uh you know you might have other stuff like world of darkness or shadow run in there but um in terms of like really new uh role-playing games um that suggest kind of something uh or do a new take on things um that make a big splash like this i really think of like blades of the dark as being like the new fiasco as it were i I think that that's a pretty good comparison i'm trying to remember were you the person who introduced me to fiasco do you remember it's very possible um, you know, I, because I, I definitely recall that same sort of feeling that you're describing you know, the, the same idea between the way I'm hearing about blades in the dark and the way I heard about fiasco, this sort of like, Hey, did you hear about this cool system? And I remember when I first heard of fiasco, I heard about it in conjunction within a wicked age, which we've covered on the RPG danger room in the past. And, uh, I definitely remember like the reaction to whoever I was showing uh, in a wicked age to was the same. It's like, have you heard of fiasco? 
And then it was just sort of like a matter of time before I wound up playing and, of course, loving Fiasco. And the same thing is definitely happening here with Blades in the Dark. Yeah, um, and uh, it's it's funny because, like, I, I think back um, when Fiasco was that huge hit, there was actually a podcast that I listened to at the time that was called RPG Countdown that did it did like a countdown of like the best selling RPG products or like the best selling RPGs uh, every month or something. And that was the way that I found out about uh, fiasco was literally listening to this countdown show that like, you know, it, it often there would be like a wizards of the coast, like fourth edition product that had ranked very high that they would talk about. But then just month after month, it was fiasco all the way. And, uh, Everybody was pretty jazzed about it. So, yeah, and, and I mean, Blades in the Dark, I'm very, like, uh, very excited just to... All, all the Forges in the Dark, it's like... It's something like... Um, one of the things I find with World of Darkness that I feel they really nailed, at least for me in New World of Darkness particularly, is you have this idea of, like, everything breaks down in this similar template fashion where it's like there are five main vampire clans there are five werewolf tribes there are five uh mage types whatever uh all that stuff and you could basically like it was very easy to imagine your own where it's like okay well like i had done a joke one that was cookie monsters that's like okay one of them one of the five is going to be like oreo cookies but one of the five is going to be chocolate chip cookies and it'll have different powers based on that and so like it's very easy to sort of fit in your own ideas to that and then also to see how other people do that because people have made all sorts of fan supplements based on new world of darkness and world of darkness and with blades in the dark like they really have set up that same thing where it's like, as soon as I check out a new forged in the dark game, I'm like, Ooh, I can't wait to dig into the play sets and the, or, or the playbooks and the, uh, crews, like whatever their equivalent of that is, which is basically like the classes, but then also your like, like party class basically, which I think is such a cool idea. And immediately like, it's just laid out for you in that system, which, uh, yeah, really love it. I'm excited to start exploring that Blades in the Dark. It's probably going to wind up on the RPG Danger Room. I'm sure we're going to play a game uh, just, like, together. I feel it, Tom. It's it's coming down the pike. Maybe this is what winter has in store for me. Yeah, so, like I say, I didn't have too much to say about uh, the last month, I don't think, honestly. I've already kind of been talking about, like, I was working on uh well the final act of coyotes aegis and and that's kind of like officially beginning i guess this week or something like that but um apart from that uh i don't know how much more i have to say i mean i i went to a wedding and stuff like it's uh and it's uh was a wedding that ended up being vaguely like very very nerdy so it was like vaguely related to what we talk about on the podcast but i mean generally it's not really like a podcast thing so apart from like you know watching deep space nine and being pretty much up to the same old stuff uh i think i'd be happy to let you take it away 
And I will in just a second, but uh, one of the things that was making me busy in September is causing trouble. I guess I can talk about it as I lure him out. Yeah, and I'll tell you what else is... Um, I also have a new cat in my house now because uh, the other of my two sisters has uh, moved in as of this weekend and has her cat. So uh, I've been dealing with a new Goofus cat. But McGill's also got a new Goofus cat. Yeah, I got two Goofus cats. They're One of them is causing trouble for me right now. Uh... His name is Bruce, and uh, he's not much of a troublemaker usually, but he really loves getting in behind my computer and, like, rustling around in the cords back there, and I'm trying to discourage him from doing that. Way I did Caitlin and I... <laughs> what? The way I stopped Fatty Goo Goo from doing that is uh, I, flick, I, I put some water on my fingers and flick it at her, and that usually scares her off pretty quick. That's the next step. I, I've sort of put up... Uh, like a little barrier made out of foam core, and uh, we'll see. We'll I see mean, how that it's, how that goes. It should also be said that like most of the time, I don't even need to wet my fingers. Usually, I do the flicking motion, and it uh, you know gets the message across. She bolts out of there. So uh, yeah, we adopted a couple of of barn kittens. The barn cat that lives in the barn next door had kittens, and we adopted two of them. Bruce and Tess. Bruce, here he goes again. <laughs> I said you should have named him Slimbo. At least one of them. Slimbo. Guess it didn't win out. That's okay. My friend uh, is running a goblin army in uh, Warcry, uh, and uh, he named one of his goblins Slimbo. <laughs> yeah, neither of them are actually all that slim. Uh, they're kind of porkers. I guess they were sort of, sort of uh, wouldn't say starving, but, you know, living off of what they could eat in a barn. And then they came here and we were feeding them kibble and they just chowed down immediately. Bruce especially has a big old appetite and I'm sure he's going to wind up being a giant fat cat. Big old and fat goo And then he won't be able to get in behind my computer. So no problem there. Ah, there you go. So that was like... One of the big things, that's how my September started, was acquiring kittens. And uh, so that was pretty busy. And, uh, you know, you you were talking about going to a wedding. I also have a wedding to go to. I'm leaving on a road trip down to Massachusetts starting tomorrow. And so a big chunk of September was dedicated to just getting everything sorted out about my travel plans, where I'm going to stop, where I'm going to stay. That explains why you uploaded the next episode so early. I was like, what the heck? That's right. Yep. Just trying to get everything squared away for when I'm gone. And uh, so I was doing all this prep for my trip and prep for owning new cats. And then Hurricane Fiona attacked Prince Edward Island. And uh, that was a hell of an experience to, to live through, I gotta tell ya. It was like 24 straight hours of just insane winds and stormy weather. Uh, winds that were so loud overnight that I couldn't sleep 
Like they were just really loud, howling, crashing winds. And then uh, it knocked out our power for five days. So we got a crazy storm and then like almost a week in the dark. That's half a day more than I was out of power for. Yeah, that's right. And th- that was this year too, wasn't it? Yeah. Boy, it's not a good year for uh, power grids. Yeah, or wacky storms that uh, yeah, tear up trees weather. either. Boy. A lot of, a lot of um, trees being torn up, thrown into people's driveways, all that stuff. Yeah, we got a, a lot of downed trees here. And uh, part of our roof got damaged. And the, uh, oh, no. the insurance company is going to tear it all up and replace the roof. But I don't know, man. It was It was just a crazy time. And so, you know, now we're... As of this recording, we're only four days into October, and I'm getting ready for a multi-day road trip, and I'm just like, oh my god, I can't wait for winter so that I I don't have to do any of this stuff. <laughs> Hopefully I can just, like, nest for a month to uh, recover from all the craziness. Well. Um, but I do actually, I do have a couple of things that I wanted to mention uh, as far as just fun stuff that I did last month. Uh, one is a movie recommendation to you. Uh, I've already recommended it to you, Tom, but I'm recommending it again yeah, on the I'm show sorry, so I that missed other it. people. Uh, and that is The Boxer's Omen, which is, it's just insane, man. This is a Shaw Brothers movie, and uh, I don't know how to describe it. Like, uh, it's not exactly a wuxia film. It's not exactly a tokusatsu kind of a film. It's just like there's a particular brand of Shaw Brothers movie where it's full of just wild magic and monsters and things like that. And uh, this is one of them. Like, it's just it's so dizzying and crazy that you can't it's not you. It's not the kind of movie that you can, like, get up in the middle and go to the bathroom and come back and and not miss anything. Like something is always happening on screen And it's pretty clear that the filmmakers, like, their goal is to make it so that you never look away. You can never look away from this. They're, they're like, zombie bats. There's there's one part where a sorcerer reanimates, like, an army of crocodile skulls. And and they, like, they they sort of fly chomping at his enemies. Uh, At one point, there's a flying severed head. It has these tele- jellyfish-like tentacles hanging out its neck stump, and it, it wraps them around a, another guy's head. Uh, there's so much puking. There's like a lot of puking in this movie. People puking up bats, people puking up all sorts of things. Uh, the Boxer's Omen, it is just one of the most insane movies I've seen in a long time. It's just like uh, Shakespeare wrote, clown number one throws up a skull. Yeah, exactly. That's... <laughs> It's it's downright Shakespearean, man. Um, and then the other thing I wanted to mention is uh, I've been playing the Dark Pictures Anthology games. Do you know about these games? Have I talked to you about these games? I know about these games. Uh, my sister and my brother around the holidays watched a, a playthrough of the one with the Iraqi soldiers and the, the things. I don't want to spoil it's, it's, it. So it yeah, uh, the the progression of that one is it's kind of like the mummy meets alien or like the descent meets the mummy where, yeah, there are all these 
it's a military unit and they get trapped in these ruins. And of course, there's something down there with them. Um, so I played that one and I've also played the first one, Man of Medan. I uh, haven't played Little Hope yet, but I'm going to. They're nice and short, like four to six hour games. So you can put them away pretty well and then revisit key moments. And uh, I got to say, like, these are really interesting just games to engage with. They're kind of like the next evolution of what Telltale does with their games, where it's, you know, loads of branching story paths. You make the decisions, you play as different characters, or you can play with someone else and you can trade back and forth who plays what characters. They're like extended interactive movies. Um, the graphics are quite good and they occasionally get like a noteworthy actor to star. Like uh, one of the Ashmore brothers is in the first one, uh, Man of Medan, in House of Ashes, the one with the soldiers. Uh, it's Ashley Teasdale is sort of the star of that one. Um, and uh, Heavy Rain, I guess, is another point of comparison, like these interactive films. And uh, I think it's really cool. I think these are really neat. I like these these little bite-sized horror things. I think... They do a better job than Telltale of really making the consequences of your actions count. Like when I played Man of Medan, uh, within the first hour of the game, uh, I'll say mild spoilers. This happens quite early on. Uh, all the characters that you play as are all out on a boat and they're diving. And these like Somali pirates pull up in a motorboat and board and take everybody hostage. And there's a moment where you're playing as the Ashmore brother, I can't remember what his character's name is, but you have the opportunity for him to escape. And like the, the other characters are going like, get out of here and go get help. So I took that opportunity and he escaped and you know he jumped on the pirate's motorboat and drove away back to land uh, to get help. And then like that all happens before the main plot of that game kicks in. That game is about being trapped on a haunted uh, World War II battleship. And so uh, I found out afterwards, though, that you can play the game with him as a character through the whole thing. And he's the main character. So I inadvertently like sent my main character away and played as a completely different character, played with a different character as the main character for the bulk of the game. And I just think that it's really cool that... They have that level of branching story. Like I played the uh, Telltale Game of Thrones game. And in the first episode of the Telltale Game of Thrones, a character is killed. And it drove me crazy that there was no way to prevent that character from being killed. Uh, that Telltale guess, Game of Thrones game sucks. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't very good. But Telltale does it with these bottleneck things. And it really seems like super massive games who do the dark pictures games. And they also did one called the quarry. It seems like their goal is not to do bottleneck points like that, like to do literal full branching stories where you can play the whole game with a different main character, you know, like a character Dinner. can die early on and somebody else will just fill that role and become the focus. Speaking of the like celebrities, didn't the quarry have like justice Smith in it or something? Uh, I'm not sure if it had Justice Smith, but I know it has Ted Raimi and Lance Henriksen in it. So yeah. it does have some pretty big names. The Quarry seems like, like the, again, you know, the next sort of step in supermassive games evolution, where now they're doing 
like a blockbuster horror movie as its own video game with actual movie stars. Um, so, I mean, that's pretty cool. I'm looking forward to playing Little Hope. I'm not totally like over the moon and other than tinkering around with a few key scenes where I could see that a big choice would have a big consequence. I didn't really like, I don't think I'm ever going to revisit these games necessarily, but they are pretty fun. The one with the soldiers being trapped in the ruins and being hunted by a monster. That one actually reminded me a lot of like an episode of love, death and robots, love, death and robots tends to always include like every season they have one episode where it's a military unit coming up against a supernatural force. Like in the latest season of Love, Death, and Robots, it's they come up against like an eldritch god. And then I think in season one, it's they come up against werewolves. And so uh, the Dark Pictures anthology, House of Ashes, military unit comes up against monsters in a ruin. It reminded me a lot of uh, an extended episode of Love, Death, and Robots, where you get to make some choices. Yeah, I definitely kind of associate these things in my mind as like Love, Death, and Robots and these narrative games that people tend to go for. I guess they have something in common in that uh, I mostly see them in terms of YouTube clips. Not sure, I'm yeah. I'm like, eh, eh. And then uh, the last thing I'll say uh, that I did in September is uh, I watched Rob Zombie's The Munsters Oh boy. And it sucks. <laughs> it sucks really bad. Don't watch it. <laughs> hey, I also want to shout out another bad telltale one is uh your final fight with fucking Bloody Mary at the end of uh Wolf Among Us. I played that fight literally with my hands off the keyboard. Nothing changes if you fail every quick time event. Oh jeez. You just win. See, that's it. Telltale really gives you the illusion of choice and the illusion of your choices mattering. But I find that uh, these super massive games, like your choices actually do matter. And uh, and that's pretty cool. It's cool that this level of like interactive movie making, it's gotten to this point. Like I played, uh, I replayed Heavy Rain not long ago and it's pretty good. Like it's it's got a lot of good qualities to it. I, I like some of the the layers of interactivity, but other than the fact that your character can die and then they're just dead and you don't get a second chance with them, like that's the only thing about Heavy Rain that feels like it has a long lasting consequence. It didn't feel like there were many paths where, you know, if you go left instead of right, you open up an entire new storyline that you otherwise wouldn't see so uh, and uh um, yeah i'm looking forward to playing little hope i'm little uh, looking forward to playing their upcoming one uh, called the devil in me and i'm looking forward to trying out the quarry because these are all really cool and i've also you, you know i've championed before uh i like a short game i like a game that i can sort of play through don't have to dedicate months and months to it uh, it's nice to just be able to put it away quickly. And so uh, these are perfect for that. Anything else uh, to discuss from the month? God, no, man. I mean, uh, games, movies, kittens, hurricanes. Yeah. <laughs> it was, uh, it's a hell of a time. Um, The only the only movie was uh, Boxer's Oven, right? 
Uh, the Boxer's Omen is the big recommendation, and then don't watch The Munsters. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right, okay. <laughs> I like how you go, <laughs> yeah, yeah, as if to say, like, like there was ever a chance that I would. Yeah, th- th- really uh, saved me that one. I, w- I, was, I was all set <laughs> to go see The Munsters. Um, I don't know, man. Like, I like, I like, uh, I like the show The Munsters. I'm not a big Rob Zombie fan, but I like the show The Munsters. I reckon The Munsters is a bit before my time. Yeah, you strike me as more of an Adams Family guy, anyway. Absolutely. I mean that that's like like honestly, like if you had asked me as a kid, Adams Family or The Munsters, I wouldn't known. I wouldn't have known who the hell The Munsters were. Whereas I always had a pretty decent idea of who the Adams Family was. So, um, yeah, I didn't really have anything like, like, I don't know. I've just been busy with like non role-playing game stuff. So there isn't really much to talk about in terms of, uh, stuff relevant to the podcast. I mean, I guess actually that's, that's not true, you know, because, uh, as I mentioned, I'm about to leave for a wedding and you mentioned that the wedding that uh, you went to was a, a pretty fun, nerdy wedding. And I gotta say that uh, I'm a little jelly, man. Like, I don't think this wedding that I'm gonna... The wedding that I'm about to attend is absolutely a nerd wedding. Like, the people getting married are total nerds, LARPers, uh, you know, big-time nerdy folk. But something tells me we're not gonna do a Magic the Gathering draft at the reception (laughs) or anything like that. And I'm a bit jealous that you got to. Yeah, and I mean, um, it was the wedding for the uh, player behind Gent, who is uh, one of the characters we are following in Coyote's Aegis at this point in the podcast. I loved that you sent me a clip of the magic draft at that wedding, and I really loved that the, the officiant, who was also a game store owner, uh, in that clip you sent me, he also announced that, like, it was a sanctioned tournament or something. He'd sanctioned it as a tournament. I don't know if that's true, I, but I think that's pretty great. I should I should clarify, actually, though, that the game store owner who officiated was not that game store owner. Uh, we're getting a bit in oh, the weeds oh, here, see. though. But, like, it was a thing where, like, a game store owner from nearby who, who like, who the bride had worked, had been working at that game store when she met the groom... Uh, that game store owner officiated, and then another game store owner uh, was uh, behind the the magic draft, who owns a beautiful, beautiful um, hobby store game store uh, in Midland, Ontario, the Midland of nowhere, as I call it. But uh, if you can get to the right side of the Georgian Bay and uh, you know be there. They got this place, Event Horizon. It's a beautiful little uh, game store. Sells, uh, you know, miniatures and all that, all your books and whatnot. It's also got a cafe and lots of game space and everything. Uh, Blew my mind. That's place real nice. Well, it seemed like a pretty fun wedding. Yeah. Um... But yeah, like I I don't know. Also, 
you know, we don't have to talk about role playing game stuff in this recap stuff, but I, I, you know, I, I just keep watching Deep Space Nine. Like, I don't think I've had anything particularly new that I've checked out to talk about. So, um, probably just gonna keep on going with with my regular programmed uh, Coyotes Ages stories. How does that sound? Let's get into it. Also, I hope my audio quality is okay. I've, uh, I'm trying to fix my posture again, and I just, like, can't seem to get the placement of the mic right here, so I'm, like, kind of holding it in a weird position. But uh, we'll see how well it comes through. Are you hearing any residual noise or anything? No, you sound good on my end. All right. Um, okay, so... Uh, we are now in Coyote's Ages in the realms of Citra Arha. We are now in the realm of Illumorphim again. Or, or I think actually this one, uh, you know, again, this is from uh, the Portal album, Swarth. Uh, Swarth. And, and uh, so all these uh, tracks have uh, weird names and stuff. Yeah, I guess I guess it is Illumorphim. I just thought maybe there was an accent on one of the E's, so maybe it was like Illumorphame or something or uh but but it is, I don't know. I just checked it. Uh blah blah blah. Point is they're in Illumorphim now. Having returned to Citra Arha via the Gloomer Funnel, the party finds themselves in the realm of Illumorphim. The players soon found that they were unable to proceed in their vehicles as the realm was full of illusions and pit traps. They come in and they're, you know, they've been uh, rolling around in their van, courtesy of their boy Vame and uh, whatnot. Then they try to travel through Illumorphim, and then it turns out someone's dug pits all over the place and put illusions so they don't know where it's safe to drive. And so their vehicles are getting stuck. There was other vehicles that they got also from, like, um, when they were in larvae and stuff from doing stuff. Like, I think they took a truck from the power plant. Wherever the case, they they have to leave their vehicles. um, But before leaving their vehicles, they're they're traveling along through Illumorphim, and they see, uh, basically, it's like, it's kind of like a... A hitchhiker, basically, is like there's this figure. Um, he's like this masked guy sort of weighed down with chains. Um, and he's just kind of uh, uh, like they just kind of drive past him like he's a hitchhiker. This guy was like one of these Citra Arha NPCs I had for them to inter- interact with uh, Thajirion. But uh, they just they just passed him by. They were like, you know what? This guy, let, let's try minimizing some of our uh contact with nightside eclipse weirdos let's focus on getting to the people who are in charge in this realm uh which is tends to be their approach so far as like uh back in swarth their first order business was getting in with mebdak once they got in the larvae they like sort of played both sides of the conflict going on there then they got in good with like whoever was in power among the trogs and the gigalich now they're here so they see this guy who's like you know just on the side of the road or whatever and uh they're like nah nah we'll skip it skip that side quest 
get to the more important stuff. These, uh, you know, there was a thing, a recurring thing. I think, you know, I, I think that I have done a pretty good job of explaining what this act is all about, uh, in the podcast, but it was interesting running it as an act because I feel like there was this recurring point, uh, you know when you have a game and you're like you have a quest that your characters are going on and maybe the quest ends up being like very multi-stage or goes on for a long time or over a period of sessions and you have that moment where a character is like wait what are we doing again like do you have do you ever have that experience uh usually only at the beginning of sessions um especially if there's been a big break between sessions it'll be one of those things where you know, we'll gather to play the game and then right at the start, some will be like, wait, where the heck were we again? And we'll have to do a big recap to to fill them back in. I, I don't it doesn't happen too, too often, but certainly like I know it's it, this exact scenario is going to happen next month when I resume the Forgotten Realms campaign I've been running with my some of my friends from Toronto because where they left off is there they left off they just got to an outpost that is uh set up outside of a haunted castle from which legions of zombies keep pouring out and so they're gonna have to go into this castle and try to put a stop to the zombie scourge but i totally know as soon as we start the next game they're be like gonna be like we're going to the castle right where do we leave off where the heck are we I think this is more specifically something where, like, you have a certain level of, like, convoluted scheme that, like, can get away from the characters where, like, they they end up putting so many objectives between them and their final goal that, and I mean, it is a symptom of a situation usually where you're going over multiple sessions, but, you know, they end up, like, halfway through the scheme where it's like, all right, we get the thing to give to this guy and then we do this thing and then we uh, fix the machine and then we're able to do this and then we'll be able to use that to do this. And then, but then like at the point where they are fixing the machine, they're like, what are we, why are we doing this again? And um, I feel like there was a certain level of that vibe when I was running this act just because of the inherent dissonance of like not being on completely hostile terms with the nightside eclipse i guess is is the bottom line of it is like this thing of you know we spend session after session in this act traveling through citra arha and i think every once in a while i get a message from like gent or or mephily or or anyone that's like why why are we not just like killing all these people like aren't these the bad guys and it's like well yeah but we have a sort of like understanding here but it's the sort of thing where it's like um <laughs> see get... the, the question the question from a player of why don't we just kill everybody that's like a whole different issue in my mind <laughs> well no it's because like they are literally behind enemy lines right now right like this is basically like if you have like I don't know. It, it It's as simple as, like, <laughs> there is the Knights at Eclipse, which is this, like, they are the antagonists. They're this huge undead faction. And to have the players long-term behind enemy lines, but kind of, like, not 
like attacking on site, like not treating these normally hostile enemies as hostiles um there was a certain level of dissonance where like every once in a while it's like wait aren't these the bad guys like why are we doing this and it's like we'd sort of have to rewind and be like well yeah but you gain these benefits for the mpoc by doing this scouting run and you need a vessel for the cult of one and stuff um anyways all of this to say um like I think that that was part of the decision to sort of leave this one character to like see this one NPC and be like, no, nah. like, you know, maybe maybe we're not necessarily like completely hostile towards the Knights at Eclipse. Maybe we don't spend our whole time behind enemy lines committing acts of sabotage and whatnot, um, but we don't need to go out of our way to like meet every weird undead that we see either. And frankly, like we'd rather keep it to a sort of like manageable, uh, pool of contacts. Um, so they passed by Thagirion. I had stuff for him. Who cares? Uh, they, again, they hit the point where there's the pit traps and the illusions and gut bones is basically like, well, we can't, really navigate this with the vehicles we have they're just too big and and bulky um and they get stuck too easily so the players resolve to proceed on foot um but eventually as they're traveling on foot they find a bunch of like corpses out in the sort of like just sort of out in the opening open basically marking like the site of an ambush it's sort of like a, a rocky just sort of like um, I guess sort of like simulated natural area. I guess the other thing, um, one of the main features of Illumorphine as a uh, realm of Citra Arha is I had this like, this recurring thing in Citra Arha, this idea that there are these vast quantities of just like black, unidentified like sludge, basically. There's like a black tar-like substance that is effectively as common in Citra Arha as, like, we would consider water. Like, there are seas of this black slime. And similarly, any time that I had sort of uh, a water-based feature in Citra Arha, it would be using this, like, black, uh, like, I don't know, again tar like stuff like this this just like sludge and so um one of the main features of Illumorphine was that i had uh like a canal of that sludge sort of running through the realm and that Ooh, was like a sort of canal yeah that was a sort of like um landmark that the players were able to navigate around is like okay well as long as we keep following the canal it will eventually lead us somewhere so, um, the players are, like, traveling through sort of, you know, having taken the Gloomer Funnel to get into Illumorphine or, or back into Citra Arha, they are kind of, like, on the outskirts of the realm, basically, and so there is this canal, and there are these sort of, like, uh, pit traps, but it is largely otherwise sort of, like, open, unoccupied space, and so traveling through it, they find, like, this spot where there's a few corpses that, like, basically they recognize that there is an ambush 
uh, or was an ambush here. Um, and nearby, the players noticed some suspicious characters. Uh, basically, these suspicious characters, what happens is they come over and they're like, oh, help, we were attacked by creatures while we were here. But the players are like, yeah, right, these weirdos just happen to be out in the middle of Ilu Morpheme where this ambush happened. This is the ambushers, man. Like, these guys tried to lure them into another ambush, uh, make it two in one day, as it were. But the players were suspicious enough not to be surprised when these strangers revealed they were actually undead skin thieves. Uh, I used the Jackalware stat block for these guys, but basically it was just like a shape changer undead where it was like uh, they pretend to be just uh, innocent drones that got attacked by some sort of monster in an ambush. And then it was actually that was the ambush because these uh, guys trying to be drones is actually crazy uh, skins like face stealing undead, basically. Face snatchers. Yeah, but like, uh, you know, just, I call them skin thieves. They're just undead that, uh, you know, could pretend to be not as undead, but they're definitely full undead, man. Um, I like I, the concept, like just the, the calling them skin thieves really conjures up a specific image. Uh, the idea of these zombies where like they, they kill their victim and then they, they peel off like a piece of their face and try to stick it on where there's a missing patch on their own face. Yeah, it's like a classic trope of fiction. Um, there's also uh, there's a New World of Darkness supplement that's called Skin Thieves that is basically for like playing sort of off-brand shape changers, like not lycanthropes because that's kind of covered by werewolves. But then there was sort of like a, a generic World of Darkness skin thieves book that was like, and if you want to be some other type of shape changer, here's some uh, scary types of shape changers that do various things to take a shape. Um, having failed to ambush the party, the rest of the skin thieves in hiding rushed out to aid their accomplices, but they had lost the advantage of surprise and the players were able to defend against the waves of them as they arrived. It was only after surviving this ambush that the players made contact with the reigning lich of the realm, Nama, who was a kind of barbaric-looking uh, warrior woman. Um, sort of shows up. She's kind of like some sort of like Norse Viking-type uh, tribal warrior woman. Like That's the kind of aesthetic vibe of Nama, the lich of uh, Ilumorphine. So she finds the players out in these like outskirts that have clearly been like they're they're clearly haunted by these uh sort of the, these skin thieves and whatnot but they've also been littered with uh traps uh one can also assume that like given the presence of the gloomer funnel and the fact that the players just came through it it's a sort of thing where it's like they come through the door that where like if something's coming through it it's very possibly a whole bunch of trogs and so Illumorphim has every reason as a realm to keep like a a minefield basically between the main core of the realm and that gate just in case um, and so that's basically what, like, the pit traps were serving as. And then the skin thieves were just kind of, like, 
one of the various skulking dangers uh, existing among those traps. But Nama, sort of having detected uh, this disturbance on the outskirts of her realm, comes and finds the players and then leads the players along the, the canal uh, to the heart of their realm. So once they reach the core of the realm and there's proper introductions with the Lich, uh, Nama gives the parties passports of a sort for further travel within Citra Arha. But also, it's sort of like this is a thing of they're basically picking off, off uh, sorry, picking up from where they left off in Swarth, where it's like they managed to do some odd jobs to win the favor of the Lich there, Mebdak. Mebdak set them up with like lab coats and some basic supplies and basically said, like, okay, you're in. Uh, you've got work with the Nightside Eclipse. And so now, like, they've had a bumpy ride since then, but now they're going back to the method of, like, okay, we go, we appeal to the Lich, the person in charge, we do whatever work they want, and exchange, in exchange, we just ask for, like, further access to Citra Arha uh, on the basis that we're providing a service. So... Uh, Nama gives them these passports, but then the service that is requested of them, um, and this is something, uh, that like the players are, the party is uniquely suited to doing because of Connor being a life cleric. Um, but basically Nama introduces them to an, an agent of theirs named Cassandra, who has fallen into basically like a state of catatonia, like, or, or like some kind of like coma. Like, uh, Nama does not understand why, but something that has happened to Cassandra such that she is no longer functional. Um, and so, like I say, um, Connor has all the necessary magic to deal with this he can identify what is wrong with cassandra he has greater restoration he has uh you know things that remove disease uh you know he he has all he is the type of cleric that is good at removing conditions like the one that would cause whatever is going on with cassandra whether or not she is like a weird animate undead member of the Nightside Eclipse. Again, I was always kind of uh, kind of uh, lenient when it came to like the strictures of that, just because the Nightside Eclipse don't necessarily follow the the rules of like standard Dungeons and Dragons 5th edition necromancy. So I had a sort of thing where it was like there was some level, especially with the drones of like, you know, you maybe you could use a certain level of healing magic on them. Whatever the case, Connor is able to easily restore Cassandra to consciousness, but then the players like realize Cassandra's role in the Nightside Eclipse, which is basically like she's a soothsayer. She and and it's funny because like I was like the name Cassandra kind of foreshadows that, or like it's very on the nose. Yeah. But it was a funny <laughs> thing of like the players like when that r reveal kicked in or, or, or when the players clued into it, I remember one of the players was like, Oh, Cassandra, of course. Like, but it was this funny thing of like, okay, well, uh, 
the lich here, what, what they want us to do is have a look at this agent and see if we can get them functioning again. And then they do, and they're like, so what? what's your role in the organization? And it's like, oh, I tell the future. And it's like, oh, huh. And so realizing the danger that the this person they uh, restored poses, the players basically decide that they just restored Cassandra in order to then assassinate them. Um, they're like they they realize how bad this could break for them especially like cassandra could just rat on them if she, if she knows the right information so they like restore cassandra figure out what she does and then like immediately assassinate her as quickly as possible with the basic idea being like well if nama asks like we did our best and things took a turn for the worse and uh we lost her and that's that's what they do basically they go they report to nama they're like uh we were seeing to her as best we could and then something went wrong and um nama is like obviously very displeased but like she has a limit to her for her fury where it's like she angrily dismisses them rather than like banishing them or like executing them she's just like fine like like they managed to play it well enough and roll their charisma checks well enough that's the sort of thing where it's like she doesn't immediately suspect that they are actively responsible for what happened to her agent but she's not pleased about their failure either and is like all right well then just get the fuck out of here like i don't if you can't do it for me like if you can't do this service for me then what the hell are you here for leave and uh which like relatively uh they got off pretty easy um and so then after leaving uh i had like the rest of illumorphine uh laid out and like there were actually a couple other nightside eclipse agents active in the realm that the players did not interact with similar to thegerion which like again i think there was just this vibe at this point of like all right we've been through swarth larvae the gigalich and now we've like met the authorities in illumorphine and i felt like they were just kind of like kind of sick of dealing with these undead creeps kind of want to minimize our uh contact with these creeps so at one point they um illumorphine basically has like a club in it where uh some undead are hanging out with that they gut bones took them to like meet some people at and they meet this uh fellow by the name of marduk who uh wanted the players to get him a drink because he'd been cut off and the players were like you know what i don't know how a nightside eclipse bar or club works and i don't want to know and if this guy's been cut off maybe it's for a good reason and you know what don't even want to meet this guy anyway so screw him and then also there was an auction house nearby. And there was this uh, guy, the curator, which uh, the curator had been seen last in Al's Aces when they were in the sort of gateway realm of Nespife, get making their way into Citraha. The curator being based on the lead singer of Portal, and he has a big old speaker for a head. But uh, the players also declined to assist the curator in... Uh, uh placing a larger bid at the local auction house they were like i don't i don't know what you're paying with i don't know what you're paying for but i don't want to help you i don't want anything to do with you get out of here and so there was kind of it was 
this is a kind of funny thing where it's like they come to this realm and it's like there's the initial threat of like getting in and the traps and the monsters then there's like the sort of core mission of uh getting in the good graces of the authorities and then like or at least getting away with the sabotage that they committed after doing that but then after that it was kind of like the the setting was just kind of open for them and i had characters for them to interact with but they were like you know what nah these guys uh these guys are a bunch of creepy creeps uh, a bunch of Janko Skelemans. Uh, we already pissed off the Lich here, <laughs> and that didn't go so well previously. We did manage to kill a potentially dangerous Nightside Eclipse agent. So, uh, you know, quit while we're ahead. Let's head on out to the next realm. That's what they did. And away we go to the next stop on the tour of Citra Arha. Yeah, that's uh, that's basically it. That's that's basically how it went. I love it. I love all these tours. Did you? I guess you probably didn't, but uh, I was going to ask if you did a similar thing to what I did with uh, that Eberron campaign I ran. Something I really liked uh, doing is getting a map of Eberron and then charting where all the players stopped and like where all these different things took place. And uh, even now... Years later, it's always fun to look back at that map and go like, oh, yeah, they went down this way, and then that's where they encountered this. Um, but I'm guessing you didn't quite do the same thing, even though you got these ongoing tours. Well, so I did have, like, like you can see up on our, uh, on our show notes page, uh, I think I included the map of the Deathlands Trail. So, like, that is all mapped out. Citra Arha, though, and I was planning to put up the Citra Arha in the in the stickied posts um, just to show the map. But the map for that one, because it is this weird, you know, reality defying outpost out in the middle of the far realms, it has a much more ex- abstract structure to it overall. Yeah, so, that's, like, that's why I was saying, like, I guess probably not so much with that. Yeah, Citra Arha as a place is mapped out as just looking like a series of like points in a weird octagon sigil. Um, there, like I could theoretically have mapped out the individual realms of Citra Arha, but I do want them to be kind of like changeable in a kind of like mercurial and eldritch way. And so I didn't really want to define them too much. Also, like I don't, I I want them to be kind of like um unfathomable like like they become as large as they need to be basically because again these are like uh kind of abstract demi planes like existing out in the far realms. But um I did do these sort of two-dimensional like profile maps uh for each of the realms of Citra Arha which are going to be coming up in the show notes I think like in the next uh few pages I upload not not the ones for this episode but for the next one um I have these just sort of like uh side on cutaways of like just an outline of what maybe the horizon line of like 
each realm looks like. So, for example, I have one that's like uh, for Illumorpheme, from like left to right, there is like some jagged shapes that I've got labeled as ruins. Then I've got what look to be like three townhouses, and I've got that label as neighborhood. Then next to that, I got a big blocky building with lights on it that I have uh, labeled as the club, and that's uh, where Anama hangs out. Then I got a bridge over the big black canal. And then I got a tall building that's labeled the auction house. Next to it is a smaller building that's labeled the jeweler. And then uh, beyond that is like a gateway that's labeled checkpoint, which uh, theoretically leads to the next uh, next realm on the list. Cool. Everybody get in the van. Well, they had to leave the van behind, but uh, it's very possible that they got a new one uh from or, or no nama gave them passports so i don't know maybe uh they everybody were hoof- get in the greyhound bus or maybe they were just hoofing it through the through the gateway um yeah i mean they they skipped basically all the <laughs> all the main quests um uh, or, or not all the main quests they skipped all the side quests like they only did the stuff with cassandra and nama they skipped all the other NPCs. So if there was somebody with a vehicle for them, they wouldn't have uh, they they wouldn't have done the quest for it. Um, but yeah, next up we got the sway. So uh, you know, some way or another, they head through that checkpoint to the next spot of Citra Arha, the sway. Cool. I love it. Uh, I really, you know, someday I'm going to look up uh, some templates for, like, heavy metal tour posters and then uh, fill in all the appropriate info for Coyote's Aegis. Coyote's Aegis, the Deathlands tour, and then here's all the stops. I feel like... Citra Arha tour. I feel like the Sway, I think I said this recently, but I think that the Sway is actually the realm that Nurgal is the lich for. Yeah, ah. so actually now they're going to the one that technically Gutbones is actually in charge of. So this is going to be the one where like when they arrive Gutbones is mysteriously like, ah, "I got to take care of some business. One sec." And then like never <laughs> does it show up until they have to leave. <laughs> is it time to hop over to the RPG Danger Room? Yeah, unless you had other any other questions about uh, their time in Illumorpheme. Nah, man. Uh, I already commented on uh, those skin thieves. Love that detail. Yeah, and all that was was just me uh, reskinning another <laughs> reskinning <laughs> another uh, another just basic stat block, which was one I'd used recently, which was uh, or we talked about recently, which was jackalwares. Nice. Yeah. And I mean, I've commented on that in the past as well Is I never really think to do that. I really should just take a stat block and then customize it a bit to make it more flavorful instead of just playing the monster as written. One thing I'll say on that note is it's much easier to figure out your uh, line of approach for that if you have like an overarching setting vibe 
like the like like if I am doing an act in Citra Arha, then that gives me more basis to like reskin stat blocks as weird biomechanical undead horrors. Um and so it's always easier like if you decide okay for the next section of my game I'm going to do it like a western or I'm going to do it like uh horror themed or something that will always make it easier to look at a stat block and say what is the blank version of this um and uh, I'm sure like it it jumps out way faster that way you end up you know, you get your needle blights. So you're doing a Western game. You look at that. You're like, no, nah, these are cactus, uh, cactus bandits that uh, attack people for their moisture or something. <laughs> Damn, I like that cactus bandits. And then they, if they catch you, they just like ring you out like a giant washcloth. Yeah, it was the. I was thinking of that. Uh, what are those cactus people we talked about uh, from Palladium that one time? Right. Um, what were they? They were from the Palladium Old West or New West, rather. Hey, there uh, you go. See, it's Western even. Yeah. Uh, now I need to know Palladium Cactus people. Oh, man, dude. If you're doing a Western themed D&D game, instead of the shambling mound, the tumbling mound. And its speed oh, is great. like doubled. That's great. I love that. The tumbling out. And disappointingly, the cactus people that we were thinking of are literally just called cactus people. <laughs> Not even cactoids. My God. They're called uh, cactus people or uh, in their own language, they are called the Finodi. And but they're, they're, they're just called it, cactus people in the book. Again, I just said cactoids and it's still a, a thousand times better than either of those. Yep, Exactly. Though the forum where I found that answer also, uh, one of the users says, here are some suggestions on how to use cactus people in your campaign. And the link they provided is just a link to different recipes that you can cook with cactus. Man, anyway. that's, another, that's another thing. <laughs> if you have the right theme for it, it's like if you were doing, like uh, if you expanded Sugar Thane Sanctum into like a candy themed campaign, You'd uh, reskin your bugbears as cookie monsters. Uh, you know, all that stuff. Teddy Grahams. <laughs> <laughs> so back into the Burning Wheel, where we have been building Udo, the goblin sunblotter. And uh, we're getting pretty close to the end of the character burning process, which of course is what... The Burning Wheel calls character creation, and uh, last time we covered uh, we covered a bunch of stuff. We covered uh, skills, traits, and also resources. The gear buying system of the Burning Wheel, and this time we're going to cover three things as well, three items. Uh, and uh, the reason we're covering three is two of them are really short, and this first one that I'm going to talk about attributes. Um, you don't have to do anything. Uh, again, you know, if, if you're a new listener to the show, if you're just coming into The Burning Wheel now, uh, our character creation in The Burning Wheel, uh, I highly recommend checking out this uh, website application called Chard. Uh, you can find it at chard-black.herokupp.com. And uh, it is a character creator 
that sort of does all of the the hard stuff for you. Character creation in the Burning Wheel involves a lot of copying over tables, copying over lists, and uh, the Chard app just it automatically copies the stuff that you choose, which makes it a whole lot easier. And uh, so attributes, which I'm going to talk about now, the reason you don't have to do anything is Chard has already calculated all this stuff for us. Um, and it's a lot of like averaging out stuff too. So there aren't really many choices to be made in attributes. But uh, here is what the source book says. Attributes are derived from the stats. And in the case of the health and steel attributes, from answering a few questions. So, you know, there, maybe there, there's one or two things that, that I'll ask you. Uh, first up, Mortal Wound. Mortal Wound, uh, all of these, these headers, these are all different attributes on the character sheet. Mortal Wound, a character's Mortal Wound tolerance is the average of his power and his fort rounded down plus six. Hey, do you remember what I picked for my uh, gear? Yes, is- I do. Poor quality hides, a poor quality crossbow. What is the other thing? Uh, and a poor quality bow. All right, cool. Just making sure. Yeah, you got a crossbow, a bow, and some poor quality hide armor. Um, so mortal wound, like this is what I'm talking about. This is just a math equation. I think it's great that this, that chard just does this for you. So... Mortal wound tolerance is the average of power and fort rounded down plus six. Uh, so in Udo's case, your mortal wound is a score of nine, and uh, it all your stuff is black shaded. We went over the shades a bit, you know, black, gray, or white. Black just means you're you're good in the way that a normal person is good. Gray is much more heroic, and then white is like you know, godly, awesome at whatever it is. So all your attributes, all of Udo's attributes are shaded black and your mortal wound is nine. Uh, If power and fort are gray shade, the mortal wound is gray shade. If one of the stats is gray and one is black, add two to the total before averaging, but the shade remains black. So uh, here's the, the sample of that in the source book. My power and fort are both black four, thus the average is also black four, no rounding necessary. And then you add six, so this character's mortal wound score is black ten, B10. Yours is B9. Um, Reflexes. A character's reflexes exponent is the average of perception, agility, and speed rounded down. And uh, if all three stats are gray shade, the character starts with a gray shaded reflex. Uh, if any of the shats, uh, sorry, if any of the stats are shaded black, reflexes is black. For each gray shaded stat, add two to the total before averaging. So we're seeing here when it comes to attributes that uh, the shade of the stats that you're using is coming into play. But uh, more often than not, it's just it defaults sort of to the lowest tier. It defaults to to black if there's any of the 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 traits are shaded black. But if any of the traits are shaded gray, uh, they will give you a little bonus. You'll still get a, a plus two. But it does seem to vary based on the different attributes. Health. The starting health is the average of will and fort 
rounded down. Health may be modified by the player's answers to the following questions. So you know what? Here are some questions, and uh, the health stat here can be modified in Chard. So currently Udo has a health, uh, health uh, attribute of B4, and here are the questions that will modify that. You ready, Tom? Okay. Does Udo live in squalor and filth? Yes. Is Udo frail or sickly? Uh, yes. Has Udo been severely wounded in the past? No. Has Udo been tortured and enslaved? Uh, I mean, I started as chattel. Does that count? No, not necessarily. You might have gotten out of this. And, you know, so... So I'd say no. No. Uh, Is the character athletic and active? No. Does the character live in a really clean and happy place? No. Okay. So uh, you answered yes to Udo living in squalor and filth, and Udo is frail or sickly. So that has modified your health your health attribute down, in fact. Um, so if uh, your character lives in squalor and filth, you, subscri- you subtract one die from starting health. And you subtract one for frail and sickly. Um, if you are athletic and active, you add one. And if you live in a really clean and happy place, you also add one. And you answer no to both of those. Health is black shade unless both will and fort are gray, in which case health is gray. If one stat is gray, you know, add two actually, to the total. I feel like I should take the athletic and active because he doesn't really have a choice if he's in the Black Legion. Okay, so uh, that bumps your health up to three. So uh, it yeah, has only gone right. down by one. Um so, uh, yeah, so that's the, the health questionnaire. And then there's also a questionnaire for steel, the steel attribute. Base starting steel is black three. Players should answer the following questions regarding their character's history. Each answer can raise or lower steel. Also, five yes answers can be used to buy a gray shade. But this requires approval from your playgroup. So here are the questions for Steel. Has the character ever been severely wounded? No. Has the character ever murdered or killed with his own hand more than once? Ever more than once? Yes. Um, ever more than once. Um, like with a crossbow counts, right? Sure. Hell yeah. Uh, have they been tortured, enslaved, or beaten over time? Nah. Have they led a sheltered life free of violence or pain? No. Has the character been raised in a competitive but non-violent culture involving things like sports, debate, strategy games, courting, anything like that? Nah, it was violent. And has the character given birth to a child? Couldn't. Okay. So uh, that only modifies your steel uh, with one. Yeah, killed more than once, raised steel by one.
Uh, hesitation is the next attribute. Your character's hesitation is 10 minus his will. There is no shade for this. Emotional attributes. Certain characters may have access to an emotional attribute like faith, grief, greed, or hatred. And you, being an orc, you have access to hatred. Um, it says here that the rules for starting scores for those attributes are described in each applicable character stock chapter. So let's hop over to where the orc stock is and look at hatred. So, or your orc life paths, starting stats, the hatred of orcs. Special traits, orc hatred as an emotional attribute. Hatred is an attribute like faith or grief. It can be used by orc characters to focus the bloody anger of their horrid lives into their skills and abilities. Hatred starts at black zero. You answer questions about your character to determine the starting exponent. You can spend five points of hatred exponent to start with a gray shade. Uh, so here are your hatred questions. Has your character ever been horribly wounded? No. Has your character ever been tortured? No. Has your character ever been enslaved by another? Yes. Has your character ever killed his superior or parents? No. Has the character ever attempted to command a unit of goblins in battle? No. Interesting. Okay. Uh, so that just increases your hatred by one. Certain traits inspire hatred. Each of the following adds one to the character's starting exponent. And boy, there's a... a Big old list of them. Uh, so we will actually get into that more after we are done the 12 step pr uh, process of creating hey, this I character. I just noticed something. What's is, that? Uh, the character ever murdered or killed with his own hand more than once affecting steel seems to also affect hatred. Yeah, these are all like tangled together. You'll note that each of these questions that I asked. Uh, they all seem to include some mention of, like, have you been tortured? Have you been enslaved? Yeah, have you been horribly injured? Yeah, they all they all seem to sort of flow together like this. Um, I mean, the deeper we get into character creation here, the more I can sort of see the grander design of the way the burning wheel works. Because, you know, uh, we talked about this when we started building Udo, uh, the idea that part of the appeal of the burning wheel is simply like this is meant to go in depth. This is going super deep. So like the first thing we did is we decided on uh, two important life moments in Udo's life and then how those have had a greater effect on his abilities uh, you know, what skills he knows, what life path he was put on. He was born chattel, and then he joined the Black Legion to become a sunblotter. And he's only 14, so, I mean, that's been a, a pretty uh, packed life so far. But, you know, we're also getting uh, all this info on his background. The idea that uh, he lives in squalor or filth. He's frail and sickly, but kind of athletic as well, because, you know, he's in the Legion. Uh, and... Uh, he's murdered people with his own hands. 
And then all of those traits that we went over on the last episode we recorded as well, like these really do sort of flesh out the type of character, the idea that uh, he's a cannibal, for example, and then, you know, uh, prefers to operate under cover of night, which is interesting for someone called a sunblotter. He's a sunblotter, but he's susceptible to the sun's rays. Yeah, that's why you got to blot it out. Yep. Um, so that's that's hatred, and we will revisit it soon. But through the character burning process, we have increased your hatred score by one. And as it says here, hatred can be used to sort of modify uh, just these other these other things that come with being an orc or a goblin in your case. And then finally, stride, the stride attribute, uh, it's similar to speed. It indicates how fast you move. It isn't rolled or tested. The number is compared to that of other characters to see who gets relative advantage. Uh, stride for dwarves is six, men and orcs is seven, elves is eight, and there is no shade for stride. So your stride is just a flat out seven. And those are the attributes. Now we've already gone over spending the the uh, the resource points, which is typically uh, item number eight, but we covered it on our last show. And so now we can talk a bit about resources and circles abilities. A character has two additional attributes called resources and circles. Did All we talk characters. about hesitation? Uh, we didn't talk about hesitation. Let me just uh, I see it here, right above stride. Yeah, hesitation. Um, oh, we did talk about it. Uh, it's just very short. Your character's hesitation is 10 minus his will exponent, and there's no shade. So that's what okay. it is. Yeah, so uh, we did talk about it. It's just one sentence long. And this is another thing where it's like, like I'm kind of, I'm learning as we go here. So I am, after we've finished building Udo, I'm going to do more of a deep dive and find good examples of all of these different things being put into play. I'm going to have to like look up a really good uh, like uh, playthrough video on YouTube of people playing the burning wheel and try to identify moments where like some a test is called for hesitation to see exactly how it functions. So uh, resources and circles. A character has two additional attributes called resources and circles. All characters start with these abilities. These abilities each have their own chapters in the rim of the Burning Wheel section. The resources attribute represents wealth, favors, and assets. Total the resource points the player spent on his character's property, reputations, and affiliations, not relationships, spells, or gear. So I, I guess that's a zero, right? You that's didn't what I got here. You didn't spend it on gear. I did spend on gear. I spent it all on gear. Yeah, I know. Exactly. Rather, sorry, uh, you didn't spend it on property, reputation, or affiliation. So total of resource points the player spent on his character's property, reputation, and affiliation, not relationship, spell, or gear, and divide by 15 and round down. This is the character's starting resources ability exponent. Um, yeah, and as, as I expected uh, on your character sheet... Chard has your resources at zero. You are stuck in the Black Legion, my friend. You don't have a lot to your name. I'm only 14. I gotta get some kills. 
If a player is just a point or two shy of the next exponent for, for his starting resources, and he really has spent all his resource points, then let him round up. If it's necessary. Some characters are going to start with black zero resources, like Udo. In order hey. to advance this, the character will need cash or loan. And then circles. Circles well, represent... Do some good work in the Black Legion. Out yeah, do you even, do you even get a salary in the Black Legion? I wonder. I'm pretty sure you only get it for confirmed kills. You get a salary, but it is salt. Um, circles represent the character's sphere of influence in his community through his profession, class, and family. All characters have it. It is tested in the game. The circle's exponent starts at half the character's will, rounded down a minimum of one, which is Udo's circles. He has a circle's attribute of one. The shade is the will shade. The scope of the base circles is determined by the character's life paths. Anyone he could have met throughout the course of his life can be approached with circles. Players may add that to, or add to that scope with affiliations and reputations. If a player spends 50 or more resource points on property, not gear, and relationships, his base circles is raised by one. So, like, you have one circle, which I guess is the people in the Black Legion. Fellow sunblotters in your, in your little battalion. Yeah, and I, they don't like me too much, and I don't care too much for them. Uh, so that is resources and circles abilities. Uh, again, just something that is sort of, like, you don't even have to make any choices here. It's just sort of determined by what we've already generated. And then this last thing that I'll talk about is physical tolerances. Um, physical tolerances are used to determine how badly injured a character is when he's struck with a weapon or spell. The mechanics for weapons and injury are discussed later in this book. There are six tolerances, superficial, light, midi, severe, traumatic, and mortal. We've already determined your character's mortal wound step in or mortal wound attribute in step seven. That attribute is to coordinate on the physical tolerances grayscale located on your character sheet. Place the mortal wound tolerance on your character's physical tolerances grayscale. So let's see where this is. Uh, oh, here it is. Yeah, it's already automatically done here. The physical tolerances grayscale. Uh, has everything that I'm talking about already filled in by chard. So we've done mortal, superficial. The superficial wound tolerance is equal to half fort rounded down plus one. And now here's here's something written in the source book that I, I kind of think is dumb. So the the blurb from superficial is exactly what I'm about to say. It says, the superficial wound tolerance is equal to half fort rounded down plus one. Yeah, I know it's funky, but it's necessary. I don't feel like we needed that. <laughs> uh, okay. And then light, midi, severe, and traumatic. Place the other wound tolerances in order, left to right, between superficial and mortal. They may be set apart by up to half the fort exponent rounded up. Typically, the gaps are between superficial and light, and light and midi. Severe, traumatic, and mortal all tend to fall together. Um, the way they have this shown in the source book 
is with this gradient going from black to white, left to right. Uh, it's a table where under like each column is labeled B1, B2, B3, B4, B5, B6, all the way to B16. And it has three notches underneath each label uh, on a row called injury. So basically what this is, is this is, is designing a chart for when your character gets injured and you fill in the injury under the appropriate label, like in the appropriate column. So charge does this much more elegantly, I think, by just having only the applicable ones, the six that I just listed, the six physical tolerances, and then their score. Um, so you can see superficial is B2, uh, light is B4, midi is B6, severe B7, traumatic B8, and mortal B9. Uh, and so the idea is just you get three like pips underneath each of those and you fill them in as your character gets injured in different ways. So it's sort of like a hit points chart, I guess. I'll be curious to see how that functions in action. And that is Udo. Um, that, that's Udo so far. The last two things that we are going to take care of, the final two steps in character burning are beliefs and instincts and uh, name him and you're finished. So actually we've already done the final one is we've already named Udo, but beliefs and instincts is a pretty long one. And this is going to help us narrow down more about who Udo is like as a character in terms of personality. Uh, it'll involve, uh, you know, NPCs who are important to him, things like that. Imagine motivations will be in there. Um, that part doesn't appear on the chard. What about that? It's true. It doesn't. Uh, and I'm pretty sure the reason for that is uh, like, I think this is all just stuff that you like note down in the margins. It seems like it is a bit more freeform and really just designed to help you like figure out what kind of a person you're going to be playing. So this is more like when we said like thuggish uh, crossbowmen, stuff like that. Yeah, exactly. And uh, it looks like there's also going to be opportunities here for you to, to do things like, oh yeah, Udo's best buddy in the Black Legion is this guy and they've known each other since, you know, this age. Good old Jorgis. Jorgis. Um, anything else? Is this is this the end for episode 124? I think we have reached the conclusion, my friend. All right. Well, good to have another episode in. If only because without it, we'll have nothing between this and the next episode. Uh, if you want to get in touch with us, see when we post new episodes, or just let us know that you're listening because we don't know really we don't have a good sense of who's listening or how often or what uh check us out on facebook uh, send us a message what have you follow us um if you want to see our show notes pictures of maps and doodles and notes that i done uh check out our supplemental materials on comparingcampaign.wordpress.com uh anything else mcgill not me Dangus, uh, he stole my line again. Burn, burn up your character. Get that. Better not steal that line because it's haunted. Get ah. that burn. 
He's going to get haunted all the way to Massachusetts, which is Lovecraft country, if I remember correctly. Whoa. Um, and yeah. Take care, everybody.